Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. This morning to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to consider the first 10 verses. Just a comment before I read the passage, 2 Corinthians 13. Over the years I've noticed certain issues emerge in the life of the church amongst us as the people of God. And one of the subjects that issues, perhaps that would be a better word, one of the issues that I've noticed uh, concerning many, many people is what we would call assurance. Assurance of faith. Am I truly saved? And so with that said this morning, I want to read this chapter and that's the topic we're going to consider in this closing chapter of Second Corinthians. So Paul writing, he says, This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He's not weak in dealing with you, but he's powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test. But that you may do what is right. Though we may have seemed to have failed the test. For we cannot do anything against the truth. But only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. And for this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So just so far, uh, the reading of God's word, let's again just come before uh, his throne of grace. Lord, your glory, your honor is the desire of our hearts that you would be exalted in our midst, not only as we congregate, but Lord, even as we go about living life from day to day. But Lord, also the concern of our souls. And we do pray that even as we would sing so zealously, it is well with my soul. Lord, that as we consider this passage this morning, that we would be convinced of the authenticity of singing that song. And thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you do not leave us in ignorance or darkness. But Lord, that you give to us all that we need for life and godliness. May I know, Lord, the the freedom, the unction of the Spirit in preaching. And may each of us, Lord, search our hearts as your word even uh, comes forth today, we pray. Amen. 
So in preparation this morning, it did get me thinking, it did get me wondering about, in fact I would say it got me troubled, troubled about people close to me, close to me, uh, who were once professing believers and are now in spiritual darkness. Do you have that experience? I have known friends and even family once singing praises alongside of me, uh, serving together in ministry with great zeal, even with sacrifice. But it's now all in the past. And I think that's true of most of us. We know someone, we know someone out there who at one time made a very clear profession of faith, that person having been enthusiastic, that person being involved as a Christian, even holding an official position in the church, perhaps as a pastor, as a deacon, as an elder, as a ministry leader. But then they fade. They cool off. Well-known author uh, Joshua Harris uh, wrote a book uh, influencing many, many young people regarding dating cooled off, and today he tells everybody that he's in a process of deconstruction. What do you do? How do we understand that? Now, nowhere to be seen in the life of the church, no Christian testimony to speak of. And so the, the question I have in this introduction, the first question, is could that be me, could that be you? In a few years' time. Is it possible? Is it possible that any one of us today, I stand in the pulpit, but 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 where will I be? Ten, God willing, ten, fifteen years uh, down the line, yourselves. Uh, is it possible that there would be no trace, no evidence of faith in Christ at all? Faith simply having er evaporated into thin air. But there's another troubling consideration as I seek to introduce this message this morning. Um, us being amongst those who go through life and ministry, singing zealously, all is well with my soul, all is well with your soul. And then passing from this life to hear those words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now again, the question has got to be asked as we, we pray that the Spirit would search our hearts. Could that be me? Could that be you when our time on earth is done? Now, of course, an important question. Can we be sure of our faith? Can we be sure that it is true saving faith? Can there be a measure of confidence to know that we will finish well, that we will hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well, in this final chapter of this letter, Paul issues a challenge to the Corinthians. Now, remember this church had been established. There had been a back and forth correspondence, some conflict, some misunderstanding, some different understanding that had uh, been taking place between he and some of the members of the congregation. And now he challenges them regarding the authenticity 
of their faith. And, and, and verse 5 is really, I see, the key uh, verse in this particular section of the passage. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. I think it's a good thing. Isn't it a good thing to test yourself? Uh, not not to make assumptions, especially unproven assumptions. It's it's test yourself so that you know that you pass the test. I I, I, I pick on my children, and and I'm going to pick again on another one of my my children this morning. Uh, I have over the course of the years tried to teach my children to drive. So when they're little, and we've been out uh, at the Val Dam driving on a sand road, I put them on my lap. And I'd let them steer, but I would be steering, really. And, and, and if they got it uh, to a point uh, advanced, I would let them even change the gears. So my youngest daughter, having done this a few times, uh, was telling everybody that she's a good driver. <laughs> then she got a learner's license, and I took her on her first uh, training session. We didn't get beyond our driveway and she was up on the pavement. You see, assumptions, thinking, believing that she was a driver, that she was a good driver, but the best she could do was end up on the pavement. Couldn't even stay on the road. And, 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 and so the possibility, the point I'm trying to make is assumptions are not good enough. And so Paul, under the guidance of the Spirit, identifies an essential requirement in the life of a professing Christian. And here's the test. And it's very straightforward here. It's a crucial test. Christ Jesus in you. Have a look at verse 5 again, just the second part. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail to meet the test. Now, it's not an easy thing to self-examine. It's not an easy thing to search our own hearts. But it's an extremely valuable exercise. I want to quote author Alan Redpath. He says, we're often very ready to examine and test others. Isn't that true? And always, uh, but first, and always first, we must examine and test ourselves. That was the trouble at Corinth. They criticized Paul and they failed to examine themselves. And then he goes on and he speaks about the value of self-examination. He says, self-examination, think about this, takes the chill away from your soul. It takes the hardness away from your heart. It takes the shadows away from your life. It sets the prisoner free. So the issue this morning is if you can say, if I can say with certainty based on the evidence, and I'm going to try and unpack that evidence this morning, if that evidence is present in your life, you pass the test. You can have confidence. You can have assurance. You don't have to struggle with this issue. Am I, am I not? Am I, am I not? If you know with certainty the reality of Jesus in your life, you can move forward with great assurance and confidence in the Lord. So two points this morning. Understand the content of the test. 
One of my weaknesses is I rush things. I don't always read every detail on an email. And even when I was back at school, I remember teachers telling me frequently, read the question. Read the question carefully before you rush to give an answer. I don't know if you like that. That's my problem. I always want to rush through things. Now, if we don't comprehend the question, how can we give the right answer? And so we need to comprehend what is required in terms of Jesus Christ in you, in me, before we give the answer. And so we tackle the passage. We see the apostle concerned here that there may be some members in the congregation who are still indulging uh, in sinful behavior. If you back up into chapter 12, verse 21, he says, I fear that when I come again, uh, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, the sexual immorality, the sensuality that they have practiced. And so he's, he's urging them to self-examine, and he's doing so in the context of bringing a strong warning. Examine yourself. Warning to some of the members of this church at Corinth that they may face discipline. That's what this opening uh, few verses is all about, that they may face discipline because of persistent and blatant sin in their lives. Have a look at 13 verse 2. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come, come again, I will not spare them. In other words, he will proceed with discipline. Discipline in the local church, we understand, must take place. But it should not be done lightly. So Paul doesn't ignore the God-given directive, the principle to guide them. And so he states in the first verse the need for evidence. We don't just willy-nilly make accusations against people. I think this about you or you think this about me. Two or three witnesses, a principle established already in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19, verse 15 A single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Now here's the problem. Exercising discipline is not always received well. Whether it be the person being disciplined or even those who are looking on to see the one being disciplined. And there's normally a reaction. This is the kind of reaction I've heard and I'm, I'm anticipating or I'm, I'm, I believe this is what Paul anticipates here. Who do you think you are to judge me? Isn't, isn't that so? That's, that's what people, who, who are you? Who are you? And, and so Paul goes on here in anticipating that question regarding his authority. He says in verse 3, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. Well, is, is Jesus speaking through Paul, in Paul? And, and is Paul speaking on behalf of Jesus? How do we know? Well, look at the life and the person of Jesus. That's where we need to go. Don't look at the way the world operates. Let's look at the way Jesus 
functions and operates and serves and ministers. In the world, even in our world, weakness is frowned upon. Isn't that true? True? Weaklings are nothing. Nobodies are of no consequence. That's the world we live in. Authority is demonstrated, it's exercised by a show of power, a show of strength, a, 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 a promotion of prominence and forcefulness. That's the way the world operates. Jesus did not operate on that basis. His way is not the way of the world. Now remember, we're talking about Jesus in Paul. What do we see in Jesus? Do we see the same in the Apostle Paul? So Jesus is not a foreigner to weakness. Even if you think about Christmas, the incarnation takes on human flesh. There is a self-limitation that takes place. Jesus was not a foreigner to insults and hardships and persecutions and rejection and calamities. He suffered ultimate humiliation at the hands of men on the cross. But of course we know it doesn't end there. Verse 4, chapter 13. He was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Now, do you, do you see what's emerging here? I hope, I hope I'm communicating this clear this morning. You see, these, these Corinthian uh, rebels, they should not be de- deceived about Paul's apparent weaknesses. He had weaknesses. He was open about his weaknesses, about, about the things that he struggled with. In the same way, you should not be deceived about the weakness of Jesus on the way to and even on the cross. Jesus crucified in weakness, but raised with power. All authority in heaven and earth given to him. And so now Paul, in in demonstrating to these Corinthians, already learned that surrendering to Jesus and the way of Jesus means walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And so the evidence... I'm getting to my point. The evidence that Christ is speaking in him, giving him authority, is in verse 10. For the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. Now, folk, here's the point. Lots of, I'm trying to present an argument, but here's the issue. Paul can affirm that in his track record in ministry, it shows that weakness is not an obstacle to God's work. It's not an obstacle. God is at work in and through broken vessels, weak vessels. Why? Because as weak vessels, we become channels of blessings and usefulness Why? Having got the inflated ego out of the way. That's the issue. Verse 9. But he said, uh, chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, just as an aside. 
We live in the world today with social media. There's a lot that we're exposed to. There's a lot that we see. And I just thought to myself as, of, as I was preparing this message, I wonder, I wonder if Paul would qualify today as a celebrity preacher. I don't think so. I don't think so. Because people would write him off as, as a weakling, as, as a loser. His life and ministry was permeated with the life and work of Jesus. If I could summarize my message this morning in terms of the content of the test, here it comes. The paradox of the cross is present in Paul's life. The way of Jesus, humility and weakness, opening the door to the power of Christ in godliness and fruitful service. And I want to say that again. Humility in weakness opens the door to the power of Christ in godliness and fruitful service. That is the content of the test. And so it begs the question, what about the Corinthians? What about me? What about you? Do we pass the test? And so we can only answer that question by going to my second point, having the courage to take the test. Verse 5 again, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this is about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. Now the test is presented very plainly. Jesus Christ in you. Not do I go to church, not do I have certain strong talents and abilities and gifts. No, is Jesus Christ in you. In you. And so the test presented uh, is again the paradox of the cross. Is it present in your life? Humility in weakness, opening the door to the power of Christ in godliness and service. And so this morning, and I know we're coming to the end of the year, but I think the end of the year is a good time to reflect. Look into the mirror of this passage. And see, see in your life, is there any resemblance of Jesus? We mustn't be like the wicked queen. Maybe the children, the boys and girls will remember the story. The wicked queen who lived in denial. After she lived, she looked into the mirror and asked, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? She lived in denial and, and rejection. She didn't want to believe that she wasn't the most beautiful uh, woman in the world. And so have the courage, have the courage to take the test. Part one of the test. Paul has already helped us by showing us to recognize how we recognize Jesus in us. Weakness fosters humility, which is an essential virtue in the life of a believer. What does weakness do, folk? It drives us to our knees in dependence on God. It eliminates, it eradicates self-sufficiency. It opens the door to the power of God in godliness because I need God's help to be changed, to be sanctified. I need God's help in, in the ministry and the service that I bring. And so a couple of questions. Are you self-confident and proud? That's the one option. Or do you recognize in your life Humble dependence on God. Number two, are you like James and John seeking prominence, needing to be rebuked by Jesus, who himself came not to be served but to serve? 
do, do, do you see that this is other than worldly? Those of us who are believers. Or the Sermon on the Mount. I understand better now what Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's a, here's a tough statement. There's no place in heaven for men and women who are arrogant and self-sufficient. They fail. Part one of the test. And, and I was reading my notes this morning. It suddenly came to me. I thought... Part one of the test has got to do with attitude. It has to do with disposition. It has to do with the way you think of yourself in the world. But let me move on to part two of the test. Verse six. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. Though we may seem to have failed, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Now, if you're confused, I'm confused as well. Okay, that, that little uh, couple of verses is very complicated. It is difficult verses, and I read many commentaries trying to understand it. But this is what I came up with. <laughs> One thing we can be sure of, looking at those few verses, is what matters to Paul is not his reputation, but the Corinthians' spiritual welfare. Concern for their souls. And, and so in these next verses, you see, we see this concern expressed. Verse 9, we are glad when we are weak and you are strong because now God's at work in you. Your restoration is what we pray for. You see, his desire is to see and know that God is at work in them so that these unconfessed sins can be eradicated. He wants to address the hard things so that when he visits them, these things are, are, are resolved. Uh, verse 10, uh, he, didn't, he didn't want to be severe in his use of authority that the Lord gave him for building up, building up in the faith. So what is part two all about? Part two of the test places them in terms of submission and obedience. What is pleasing to God? Part two of the test, Jesus in me, Jesus in me, even teaching us, Lord, uh, uh, his disciples, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, finding out what pleases the Lord, finding out, as he states in this particular, follow that which is truth, that which is right, that which is necessary in terms of a response of Repentance. It's turning from sin. In other words, if, if the first test has to do with attitude, the second test has to do with action. What am I doing in response to the sin and, and, and the need that I see in my life? Now let me conclude. I don't think anybody of us likes to take tests. Maths tests. Spelling tests. Greek Tests is what I had to endure. Uh, Hebrew tests, don't like them. But they're useful, are they not? I think most of you go for an annual or biannual physical examination just to make sure your heart is still ticking. Isn't that so? Check yourself out. You know that you don't like to go. Who, who likes to go to the dentist? I go, not because I like it, but I want to keep my teeth. I visited Tino and, and, and uh, Ingrid this week, and uh, they have this little dog. He's apparently 15 years old. He has one tooth left. <laughs> I don't want to be like that dog, so I go to the dentist. 
Or maybe I should say, I'm so glad that pilots have been tested. Do you, you get the point? Testing, testing is so important. Uh, eyes, we test our eyes and so on and so on. Surely, surely it makes sense in the light of eternity. And that, that's the, I hope the thrust of this message this morning. Subject your soul to a test that you're able to say convincingly, it is well with my soul. Stand in front of the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall. What do I see? Do I see an attitude of humility and dependence before God? And, and in my weakness, I come before Him knowing that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Do I take action and in terms of repenting and confessing my sin, uh, seeking the help of God, not just in, in, in sanctification, but even in service? And so again, this, this paragraph is the paradox of the cross present in your life. Is humility in weakness opening the door to the power of Christ in godliness and fruitful service? I want to close with what James gives us, Holy Spirit, through James in chapter 1, verse 22. He urges his readers, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. May God help us to be honest in these things. Lord, I do pray, as we even did at the beginning, that your Holy Spirit would continue to search our hearts. Thank you for grace. Thank you, Lord, in spite of our failings, our weaknesses, and our sins, even while we were yet sinners, Christ dying for us. Thank you that we don't need to pretend that we are something when we are nothing. Understanding that you are God, that we are creatures, Lord, that we are recipients of your abundant compassion, your mercies that never fail, your steadfast love. And even as we leave here this morning, Lord, may, may we all leave here with a confidence, a sense of knowing that we have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.